How many of you have ever been 12? How many of you have ever been 20? How many of you have ever been 30? How many of you have ever been 70? Here's my point to you. You haven't been what I am, but I have been what you are. And the popular thinking is that an old man can't talk to young people. That presumes that I've never been young. Can you remember being 12? Can you? So can I. I received the Holy Ghost when I was 12. I can remember being 18 vividly. I can remember growing up in the church. I can remember the struggles of growing up in the church. I can remember the pressure of going, growing up in the church. What's the, one of the biggest complaints that young people have? Why can't I be treated like an adult? Right? Is there any, any young person sitting here today that says, treat me like a kid. I don't want to be treated like an adult. Really? Anybody? You want to be treated like a kid? You want your parents to treat you like you were seven? Twelve? No. Every single one of you desire to be treated like an adult. So, I mean this in the most positive way, I'm not here to entertain you. Some people think that's the only effective ministry to young people is to entertain you. I don't think that's treating you like an adult. And I don't mean being harsh or mean or cruel or whatever. I'm talking about trying to communicate something to you. It's going to help you. I, I know this sounds like a rhetorical question, but I'm asking it anyway. How many of you want to go to heaven? Now, I, I assume it's possible to come to a church youth camp and really not care that much about going to heaven. But I'm assuming that if you really wanted to do something else you could have this week you're here it wasn't wasn't cheap for either you or your family to get you here and so you're here and it's a church youth camp was there is there anybody who came to this camp thinking it wasn't going to be about church of course not actually that's the problem isn't it it's about church That's the problem with it. It's about church. It's not as much as it needs to be about God. Well, aren't they the same? Of course not. Do I believe everybody that goes to church is going to heaven? Do you? Well, then it can't be about church, can it? 
It's got to be about God. It's got to be about his word. So I, I have very specific direction this week to talk to you about some things that I wish somebody would have treated me like an adult at 12, 14, 16, 18 and helped me to understand what it means to really know Jesus and to be saved. I didn't real when I started the Naval Academy in June on June 30th, 1964 at 18 plus I thought I was a Christian. Had the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. It took six months to figure out that I did not know Jesus. I did not have a relationship with Jesus. I had a relationship with the church. And when the church was taken away from me because there was no church in Annapolis, Maryland at that time, no apostolic church, no place to go to church, no pastor, no one to prop me up, no one to help me, just me and Jesus, and there was a whole lot more me and not very much Jesus, it became really difficult to make it. Now, thankfully, that experience changed my life. I have said it many times. I went to the Naval Academy, a third-generation Pentecostal, and left there a first-generation apostolic. What does that mean? That means that while I was there, I found Jesus for myself. I studied the Bible for myself. I got the revelation of the truth for myself. And after that point, it's not that I didn't need God and fellowship, or the church and fellowship and pastoring and all of that. It's that my entire salvation wasn't built upon being able to make it to the next church service because I've been in situations where I couldn't go to church. And there were things that I was not taught being raised in the United Pentecostal Church. There were things that I've had to learn on my own because I had never heard them before. And so I want to talk to you about them today. Okay? Let me give you a perfect example. Um, I, I'm going to skip you on this one. <laughs> uh, do me a favor, buddy. I need that bench right there. Moved over there. Go ahead. By yourself. Move, move, the, move the wires off of it there. Don't tear anything up. Now here is the Pentecost I was raised in. Come on. Surely you can do this. This is the Pentecost I was raised in. We were given tasks like this and expected to do it by ourselves. Now, he's making pretty good progress, isn't he? Isn't he? But what was the first question he asked me? By myself? That's okay, but I think we've made the point. Now, 
No, 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 I've got this. (laughs) Okay. That's exactly the Pentecost I was raised in. Do this, 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 and this. Don't do this, 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 and this. And by the way, do it by yourself. Nobody did it for me. I had to do it myself. Because if I didn't do it myself, I wasn't pleasing God. And I wasn't saved. Because this has to be done. Whatever the task is, whatever, whatever the do is, whatever the don't is, this is the, this task had to get done. Or I wasn't saved. And so I struggled to do it the best I could. Some days I made decent progress with it. Some days I couldn't hardly get it moving at all. And in my own heart and mind, I asked the same question our young brother did. By myself? Well, of course. How else are you going to prove yourself? How else are you going to prove you're saved? Do this by yourself. I wish I could tell you I learned how much of a lie that is within by the within the first 20 or 30 years of being a Christian. I wish I could tell you that. But I didn't. I didn't. And the problem was in the first 20 plus years of my pastoring I taught and preached the same thing. Here's the things you're supposed to do. Here's the things you're not supposed to do. Now get it done. Well, I got to be honest with you. There were times I failed a whole lot more than I succeeded. And even succeeding wasn't easy. Let's try this again. But I want you to get on the other end of that bench over there. Yeah, stand on the other edge. All right? Now, I want you to see the difference here. I want you to help him. Over here. I want it brought over here. There you go. Now he made a little progress. It's still involved, isn't it? He's still having to do something. But he's not doing it by himself. Thank you. I don't have scriptures on the screen, do I? Okay. Let's do this. I'll read it, and hopefully you'll remember it. It is uh, Hebrews chapter 
what happened to it. Hebrews chapter um, 4 and verse 16. I'll start with verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but what is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, let me say this to you. When the King James was written in 1611, it was not a grammatical error to use the double negative. We still use the double negative in talking today, but it is not grammatically correct because it's confusing. So if you'll permit me, I'll read this in today's phraseology and you'll see the difference. For we have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. What does that mean? After decades of trying to move this heavy load of expectations by myself and constantly experiencing how weak I was, how difficult that was, how joyless that was. No joy. There was no joy. There was no peace. There was just pressure. Pressure to perform. Pressure to meet expectations. And mostly, there was a constant feeling of failure. Wait, 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 brother, you mean when you were a kid? Oh, it was when I was a kid, all right. But it was long after I became a preacher. Same feelings. You know, the same kind of feelings that most of you have right this moment. Because this is really personal. Because most of us, as Pentecostal young people, and by the time this is through this week, I'd really hope you're closer to being an apostolic young person than a Pentecostal one. But I'll talk about that some other time. The point being here is hopefully by the time this is over with, you have a better idea how, how to do the do's and not do the don'ts, but not do them by yourself so that you're not under pressure and so that you enjoy doing this. Because let's face facts. If church is only about pressure, maybe it's not really, but sometimes it feels like it. It's only about pressure and expectations. And so there's no joy in it because I'm straining inwardly to always measure up. And then I go among friends or people or schoolmates or whatever, and they're having fun. And they seem to be happy. And I'm going to church, and it's strained, and it's pressure, and it 
I constantly feel like I'm not good enough and I'm failing because I can't measure up. I've got to question what's going to happen. What's going to happen eventually? You see coming to church and it's strain and it's pressure. And you go among your friends and they're having a big time. What happens? Why is it that statistically 90% of all kids who claim some form of Christianity when they go to college are no longer claiming Christianity by the time they leave college? Why is that? Including apostolic young people. Why is that? Because church has been Pressure, 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 pressure. Expectations. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you're trying and you're sincere. You know what? (laughs) If it didn't matter to you, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't even bother to come to this. If it didn't matter to you, if it wasn't important, you wouldn't have bothered coming here. It's a lot easier to stay home. Why come and be pounded all week? Don't you get enough pounding two or three times a week in regular church? You're going to come and get pounded all week? Of course not. It matters to you or you wouldn't be here. So the point's this. What are you going to do when you go to college? And you're living under these pressures and feeling like a failure because no matter how hard you try, you can't do it perfect. And therefore you have no joy because all you feel is failure. And then worse than that, see, then you go to church and hopefully it's the spirit moving and people begin to dance and shout and you don't want to be the one sitting there doing nothing. So you try to participate And then you go home and you lay down on the bed at night. You go, I'm such a hypocrite because I didn't really feel that. But I didn't even want I didn't want anybody to think there was something wrong with me. Question, was I a Pentecostal young person? Hello? Have I made my point? I was a Pentecostal young person. It never crossed my mind to stop going to church. I never went to a dance in my life. I never went to a movie theater in my life. I've never had a cigarette between my fingers, forget between my mouth, my lips. I've never tasted alcohol in my life. But I was very addicted. I had a terrible addiction. It's the most addicting thing there is. Religious self-righteousness. Which we got plenty of every time we came to church. Because we're the only ones saved. And of course I believe Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation. Nobody else knows anything about God. And so we're better than everybody else. I didn't feel better than everybody else. Because in here, I knew that no matter how hard I was trying, I couldn't get it right. 
I couldn't get it right. I tried, but I couldn't get it right because I was in school and they gave grades in school and I gave grades to myself without even realizing I was doing it. In all honesty, I could never give myself an A, but every couple of times I got a B minus, B, going okay. There were a lot of times I gave myself an F because it was absolutely deserved. And of course, the good thing was we had church three times a week. And so I, I also always tried to make sure I was prayed up for I went to church because I was afraid the preacher would understand how bad I was struggling. At times. It wasn't all difficult. There were some good times. There weren't very many. Because of the pressure. And the feelings of failure. No joy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it that you're feeling. When the spirit's moving in a service. And you're. And you're responding. What is that? It's joy. Whose joy? The joy of the Lord. Not your joy. Not my joy. His joy. So what happens? Singing stops. The praying stops. Service is over with. The joy lifts. And by the time I leave the parking lot, I'm right back where I was. Because it's not my joy. Not my joy. There was a whole lot of condemnation. Whole lot of guilt and shame. Not a lot of joy. So what did I feel? King James word is infirmity. It's a feebleness of of mind or body by implication. A moral frailty. A weak, a want of strength. Weakness of the body or soul. I want you to hear this really carefully. I spent decades of my walk with God trying to prove to God how strong I was. And he put those same decades, spent those same decades trying to prove to me how weak I was. Because while I was strong, or was trying to be, I did what I did for God. But when I finally accepted the fact I'm weak, I was finally able to let him do it through me, with me. I wasn't alone anymore. The tasks weren't heavy because he was on the other end of the task. Together, he and I were obeying his word. And the fellowship of doing it with him and the fact that now I was able to do what he was expecting me to do brought joy, real joy, real joy. Let me tell you something. I was at the Naval Academy by myself. There was no church. 
was no preacher. And after I, the Holy Ghost helped me work my way through the fact I didn't know God, I only had a relationship with the church, and I began to build a relationship with the church. By myself, with no church, with no preacher pounding me to do this and don't do that, I left the Naval Academy with joy because I found out the Lord is really real and that he really loved me, that he wasn't some ogre sitting on a throne scowling down at me, just waiting for me to make a mistake so he could smash me with his stick. But he was a loving father, kind, tender, supportive, helpful, encouraging, patient. Oh, how patient. Patient beyond imagination and still is to this day. He is so patient. He was everything I wasn't told he was. He was none of what I was told he was. And whether that telling was either directly or indirectly, by implication, it's the the God I thought was there is not the God that was there. And the God I didn't know was there was the God that was there. And it changed everything. Because now, I'm not a Christian because of a preacher or a church. I'm a Christian because I know Jesus for myself. Now, please don't misunderstand this statement I'm about to make. Coming together is for all of us. We all come together. There's something that God does for us when we come together. But for spiritual babies, church is absolutely essential. They can't feed themselves. They don't know how to feed themselves. So they need to come to church. And they don't really know how to keep themselves, you ready for this terminology, topped off with the Holy Ghost. Their their Holy Ghost gets depleted. So they need to come to church and they need to be filled. And they need to be thrilled. And they need to be have their diaper changed and their they need to be burped. Because they're babies. But when you're 30 years old in the Lord, or 20 years old in the Lord, or 10 years old in the Lord, and you have to come to church to get your diaper changed, get somebody to burp you, and feed you because you don't have a clue how to feed yourself out of the Word, and you don't know Jesus at all, You only know what you're told and experienced in church. There's a problem. How many of you like to feel like a failure? Anybody? Of course not. One of my favorite sayings is, you know what's so awesome about beating your head against the wall? It feels really good when you quit. And guess what? Dear ones, you're going to quit beating your head against the wall one way or the other. 
You will not live all of your life beating your head against the wall. You will quit. The question is, what are you going to quit on? You're going to quit on your efforts to live for God and work for God and finally find a partnership with him where he does it through you? Or are you just going to give up, quit on all of this because it hurts too much to keep beating your head against the wall? The problem is this. Every newborn spiritually starts out like this. I have two sons, seven grandchildren. That doesn't make me an expert. Now, my wife, she's pretty much of an expert. Babies love her to this day. I love her. Babies love her. We have something in common. That's all I have in common with babies. Oh, and I'm jealous because... Sometimes I feel like she holds them more than me, but that's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm living with it. Right? It's bad enough when it's the saints' babies she's holding, but when it's grandbabies, oh, God have mercy. Grandmothers, they're... I just don't know how to explain a grandmother. It's, males can't comprehend grandmothers. It's just... I don't care how old you are. You learn to live with a grandmother. You don't learn to understand the grandmother. It's not possible. It's not possible. No. And there's nothing more demanding and self-centered than a baby, including a spiritual baby. That's why when people receive the Holy Ghost, they need lots of attention from everybody. And it doesn't take a baby long to begin to expect that attention. But there has, there comes a point where that baby's supposed to begin to grow up. I mean, what would you do if you visited one of your friend's home and their, their, their mom sat there and spoon fed them during a meal? What would you think about that? You go, whoa, something is not right here. Well, that's exactly what I feel when I go preach places. And I see people that only eat if they're spoon-fed, even though they've had the Holy Ghost for years. I go, whoa, something's not right here. Something's not right. Oh, we're too young, really. So poor old God, he didn't know he gave you the Holy Ghost too young. Poor old God, he, ah, can't you see God going, my bad, my bad. I should have waited till you were 25. Where I could have had expectations of you that was different than this. My, my bad. It's just, if that was what God was going to do, he'd beat his own chest in. Because if he did that for every one of us, my bad, my bad, my bad. He wouldn't be able to get anything else done. I got the Holy Ghost at 12, my wife at 9, my eldest son at 7, my youngest son two months shy of being 5. 
Poor old God, my bad. Oops, oops, I didn't mean to do that. I should have waited till you were a lot older. Oops. Really? No. God gave you the Holy Ghost. I'd like for you to show me the verse in the Bible. And I'm asking you. Because I don't want you to embarrass your parents and ask them to show you. Because they can't. But I want you to show me the verse in the Bible where God tells us to live for Him. I want you to show me the verse in the Bible where it says God tells me to work for Him. Show me the verse where He tells you to drag this bench, figuratively speaking, across that room by yourself. Show me the verse. Now, how old are you, son? Yeah. You're 11. Oh, you snuck in here. I found you out. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, I was expecting 12, honestly, or 13, whatever. You look older than that. Does that save me at all? Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, and I saw your face when I said to him, drag this, get this bench from here over there. And you're going, no. Well, what if I'd have said that to a five-year-old? Now, I have a five-year-old grandson. And if I would have told him to do that, he would have thought that was the coolest thing to try because he's not old enough to understand yet, is he? You see, the younger you are, the more you think you can do by yourself. I'll say it one more time. The younger you are naturally and spiritually, the more you think you can do on your own by yourself. Or how about this one? Your parents, they mean well, but they say this, be a good boy and do this or that. Oh, so that if I don't do that, I'm a bad boy? Right? And then we bring that to God. Do this, don't do that, and you're good. Don't do that, and you do this, and you're bad. No, you got to understand something. God set this up where you can't do it yourself. Your failure is not a shock to him. Your shock, your failure is a shock to you because you still think you can do it yourself. Ooh, that was a shock to you, wasn't it? Oh, God, I have blown it so big time. And he goes, I know. I can't believe you made it this long. Why? Because if I'm trying to do it for God, myself, failure is guaranteed. 
And the bad thing is when you can succeed for a little while. Because then what do you convince yourself? Well, if I just tried harder, I could do it better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's see. That's in the book of Acts chapter 30, verse 26. Try harder and you'll be saved. Anybody ever read that verse? How many chapters are in Acts? 28. (laughs) Caught some of you, didn't I? Uh Uh-huh. There's not 30 chapters in Acts. There's only 28. The bottom line is you won't find a verse that says, try harder and you will finally succeed. I'll show you a verse. John chapter 15 verse, John chapter 15 verse 5. Jesus said, you ready now? Without me, ye can do what? Nothing. There's four Greek words that are combined to make that one word nothing. Not not even one thing. Not even one thing. Oh, but brother, I got up by myself this morning. I've done this and that by myself. No, no, no. You don't, you're, you're missing the whole point. What you're doing when you're taking credit for what you're doing, you're stealing God's glory. Everybody here that is successfully making your own heartbeat, let me see your hand. Brother, you can put it down. Thank you. You're successfully making your own heartbeat, right? No, you're not. How many of you think, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart? Well, of course you don't. Why? Because the power of life and death is in the Lord's hand. If you're sitting here alive, you're not doing that by yourself. Your breath is not working by itself. Your digestive system is not keeping your body nourished by itself. And yet, here's the problem. We steal His glory by taking credit for all of that. Now, I'm trying not to get into tomorrow and Thursday's subject. It is a little difficult because they're so interrelated. So, what am I talking about today? Let's read the next verse in Mark, or in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I'll read verse 15 again without the double negative. For we have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. What's the last thing that we do? The last thing, you guys especially, the last thing you do is want to admit to your friend you can't do something. And we play play these stupid dare games, whatever you call them now, it's not the issue. But we want to dare each other to do this and dare each other to do that. And, And instead of acknowledging I don't want to do that, or I don't want to try to do that, whatever. Oh, no, no. I got to uphold my male ego here by trying to do something. (sighs) 
And girls, these guys don't understand one of the biggest secrets there is. They think that men are competitive and girls are not. What they don't know is, when it comes to competition, they're children. (laughs) Girls have perfected the art of competition. (laughs) Let me tell you the difference, guys. You compete in some things. They compete in everything. I know, I know, I wasn't supposed to tell that secret, was I? Because girls want to act so blasé when it comes to... Because you know what the problem is? This is really the problem. The first Christmas that we had with a granddaughter, my wife and I raised two sons. She got a baby doll. What? She got a shopping cart. She can't walk yet. She, she got a toy vacuum cleaner. And I looked at my wife and my daughter-in-law and said, these aren't toys. This is work. You gave her stuff that's work. How come you didn't give her a ball or something? Right? Right. There was no female in the room that thought giving her a shopping cart was unusual. Are you kidding? What are we homeless people who are stealing these shopping carts or what? <laughs> what I, what? Are you kidding? But see, th- this is this is why girls don't really tell guys what they think of guys because guys are silly they compete over who wins a ball game we all know that girls compete over the important stuff oh yeah see you guys don't understand that you don't recognize the competitive girls because you don't think on that level you just want to know who can dunk that's what you want to know Who's got a crossover? That's all you want to know. That's, that's all that matters to you. Whose ankles you can break with the best move, right? That's all that matters to you. Right? And you think the girls are standing on the sideline going, look at that crossover dribble. Really? Really? You think that's what they're admiring? They're, they're shaking in their heads going inside. Hopefully they grow up before it's husband time. Because this is ridiculous. But see, I got bad news for you girls. Males don't ever grow up. I'm sorry, they don't. I'm really sorry. It's absolutely the truth. If you're expecting us to outgrow that, forget it. I I, I got a ball when I was one. I got a ball when I was 70. I got a ball. I got a ball. I can do something with a ball. I understand the ball. Don't give me a shopping cart. Give me an iPad and Amazon, and I can do some damage with that. But I can't do that stuff, you know. 
Go to stores and look? Let's go shopping. No, you mean go looking. <laughs> don't intend to buy anything. You're just looking. Men don't understand that. And the girls don't understand why guys don't want to go shopping with them. Because you don't shop. You look. Because a man wants to accomplish something. And you're looking accomplishes nothing. Until they get it wise enough to know that the, it's a test. And many men never get wise enough to know it's a test. It's not about whether you buy anything. It's whether or not he's willing to go shopping with you. It's a test. <clears throat> it's always a test. Brethren, listen to me. It never stops being a test. I've been married 49 years almost, and it's still a test. <laughs> if I'm hungry, the drive through at Burger King is gourmet food. <laughs> but the test is, the test is, am I willing to park the car, go in any place that's got a menu, and sit down with her and enjoy a meal? I can't tell you how many decades it took me to understand that was a test. It wasn't about food. It wasn't about food. Oh, God, help us here. <laughs> Failure. God expects us to live knowing that every moment of the day that I don't trust him, even when it looks like I'm succeeding, I'm failing. Because the test isn't whether I'm accomplishing the task, doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. The test is, am I trying to do it without him? Hello? Now, we saw our... <clears throat> Almost 13 brother. Make some progress getting that all that seat, bench. And we know that given enough time, he would have eventually got it on this side, right? I mean, he was making some progress. He showed that he was able to at least move it by himself. But that's the problem, you see. The problem is, he created you with flesh. And before he ever made Adam, he knew what flesh was capable of doing. And he knew what flesh was capable of not doing. He knew. And then he says, do this, this, and this, and this. And don't do this, and this, and this. Why? For the purpose of revealing to me, I'm living in flesh. And flesh can't save itself. And flesh can't be good by itself. And flesh will never get the honor and the credit and the glory, which all belongs to God. So he set this up so that you and I would fail. He's not responsible for the failure. I'm making the choices. 
me. And what's the choice? The choice is I'm trying to do right and not do wrong through my flesh. What did the apostle Paul say? In me, come on, somebody can quote this. In my, that is in my flesh. What's it say? What did it say? Dwelleth, dwells no good thing. Now, you know what our problem is? We're trying to prove God wrong. I'm good. Watch. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I've been a son, and I knew it was important, and I don't know why it was important to me as a son, but it was, and I've had sons. And if I had $100 for every time I heard in my life, no matter the age of those sons, either said or implied, watch, Dad, watch, Dad, watch, Dad, I'd be a very rich man. Why? Because I was trying to be a good father. And I loved my sons. And I wanted them to love me. And they wanted my approval. So rather than accepting my approval. Because I loved them as sons. They were constantly trying. To win my approval by what they could do. I've told this story a few times. But it was a shock to me. When my eldest, David, wasn't really walking on his own yet. But I'd hold him by the arm and we would walk along. Pretty much I was dragging him, but he thought he was walking. And I know that the only reason he's upright is because I got a hold of his arm. And he's not really getting 100% of the time that if I lean him forward, a foot's supposed to go out. But we do that a few minutes and then I feel this number. And I'm thinking to myself, oh God, do we have a child that's mentally challenged? He's totally unaware that he's not doing this by himself. The only reason he's standing, the only reason he's making progress forward It's because as his father, I've got a hold of his arm holding him up. And he's wanting me to let go so he can do it himself. Well, you know, this is, moms don't do this, but dads do. Okay. You, you want me to let go? Bam. And what does he do? He rolls over and looks up at me with his accusing eyes. What did you do? (laughs) That is perfectly what I'm trying to say here today. If you're standing, it's because he's holding you up. If you're making progress, it's because he's moving you along. And the moment you want to do it yourself, and you talk him into letting go so you can show dad what you can do, You're going down. And what do we do when we fail? 
Blame it on him. We humans are a piece of work, I'm going to tell you right now. We take all the credit for the good we do and blame God for all the bad. That's humanity in a nutshell right there. That's that's humanity right there. So, God in His love for me, God in His love for me, puts me in situations because He knows my flesh that I will fail. Is He responsible for my failure? No. He's already told me how to succeed. He's told me how. If I fail, it's because I make a specific choice, consciously or subconsciously, I make a choice to try to do it myself on my own. How often did he know that we were going to make some kind of error? Well, I can, if you want to take the time, I can prove to you soundly and biblically that he's encouraged you to repent every day. Why would I have to repent every day if I'm doing it right most of the time? Because even when I think I'm doing well, there's such things called secret sins. Why is that the point? Because he's never going to let you believe you can save yourself by being good. Being good on your own. He's never going to let you believe that. He is the enemy of you believing that you can be good enough through your own efforts that he will just have to, he'll have to make a special entrance into heaven for you because you, you didn't need a savior. You got yourself there by being good. <laughs> and whether that pressure is self-inflicted or comes from what you understand the preacher's saying, or maybe it is what the preacher's saying, or your parents are saying, or whoever's saying, the bottom line is this. The Lord knows you can't do this by yourself. And when you finally acknowledge that, you're becoming spiritual. The most spiritual day of your life will be the day you're ready to quit and give up. Because that will be the day you'll have to decide who you're going to give up on. You and your efforts to be good by your own strength? Or are you going to give up on God? And trust me, whether you get to that day by the time you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, if you make it to heaven and the righteous are scarcely saved, First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and ungodly appear? What does that, what, what does that say? If the righteous scarcely be saved. Is it that hard, Brother Wright? No. Being saved is the easiest thing you'll ever do. It's hard to be lost. you got to purposely choose to not trust Jesus every day. 
You got to purposely choose to do it on your own in your own strength to be lost. It's hard to be lost. It's easy to be saved. I just give up and let the Lord do it through me. And we have a relationship all day. Every day. Oh, Brother Wright, that's not possible. I understand. That's why I'm teaching this. It is possible. I remember it was an old prophet of God said to me as a young preacher. I was in my mid-20s. Brother Wright, there will be a day where you will experience the presence of God all day in your life, every day. I respected him, so I didn't argue with him. But I thought to myself, impossible. Well, he was right, of course. But there were a whole lot of things in my life, and I don't mean drugs and alcohol, blah, blah, blah. There were a whole lot of things in my life ideas, concepts, religious traditions, etc., that had to be removed from me that were keeping me from being able to fellowship with God every day. So, here's the verse. You ready? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I'll read verse 15 again. I'll try to go on from it. For we have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, because he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read. And I know this one thing. The word to help there in the English is verb. To help is a verb. In the Greek, the word is not. The word translated to help is not a verb, it's a noun. But because the translators of it were scholars and not people that understood grace, they translated away the way they understood it. (laughs) Because here's the difference. Grace is not God coming and helping me when I'm in trouble. Grace is me giving up on me and letting God do it through me 24-7. So grace help is not on occasion of need as this verse seems to imply. Because Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. That's 24-7. So I need grace 24-7. I need the Lord involved with me and every burden that his word says is there. And I don't mean that word burden negatively. But everything that the Father says is true and he expects me to love truth, it is a burden to my flesh. My flesh cannot do those things myself. I, you, some of you look shocked because maybe you've never heard this before. Well, I'm telling you this and I'm ready to... I'm ready to defend what I'm saying from the book with anybody, any place, any time. Take that however you want to. If you call that pride, so be it. But I got just a little bit of t- track record to be able to do that. I can't help what somebody else has taught you. I'm telling you what the book says. The book says 
You need him 24-7. He is willing to be there 24-7. And any day that I fail is a day I chose to do it by myself. Every failure that I make in my relationship with God is a moment or a task or a burden that I chose to handle on my own. Now, some of this you're going to understand a whole, mo- whole lot more about it tomorrow and Thursday. I'm not teaching you like Sunday school kids. I'm treating you like spiritual adults. And most of you have had the Holy Ghost several years. Not all, but most. I can't tell you how different my life would have been. If somebody just would have tried to get this across to me at your age. My mother was attending United Pentecostal Church when I was born. I received the Holy Ghost at age 12. That's another story. There was never a time that I gave my mother a hard time about going to church. My dad was home, but he was in the Navy, and so he was going a lot. But he wasn't saved the whole time I was a kid. My mother didn't have to pester me to go to church. I wanted to go to church. I knew there was a God. I believe. I don't even know how I knew this. I knew there was a God. I believe there was a God. I heard my. I had my first spiritual dream when I was five, and still can remember that dream vividly today. I had a dream of the rapture. The church we were attending in Pensacola. I'm five years old. All the people were out on the on the sidewalk. Jesus came. Some went. Some didn't. And I named the people to my mother that stayed on the sidewalk and didn't go. And now some 65 years later, I can tell you that every one of those people that stayed on that sidewalk in that dream died in a condition that we would consider to be unsaved. That would be five, seven years before I got the Holy Ghost. I don't ever remember a time I didn't want to go to heaven. That's not the point. Point is, with all of that, there's this stuff right here. See this stuff? This is flesh. And if God really didn't want me to have problems, he'd have transformed this flesh into glorified body the moment I ever spoke in tongues and was baptized in Jesus' name. But he didn't do that. He left me in this flesh. Why? So that I would fail and feel bad? No. So that I would learn to have an intimate personal relationship with him. A relationship that would enable me, empower me to do what's pleasing to him. I'm 71 and a half almost. Do I do stuff perfectly every day? (laughs) You got any other jokes? Do you think you think you can outgrow the need of a savior? You think you can outgrow the need of grace? Here it is. I'm winding down. Breakfast is 40 minutes away and it's a long walk to the dining hall, so I'm I'm going to wind down here for you. <laughs> if you want to go to heaven, I got a verse for you to memorize. It's about 
Ten words long, maybe. Philippians 2.13. If you cannot quote it, you owe it. You owe it to yourself and your salvation to quote this, uh, to learn it. I pray this verse in some form almost every day. King James says it this way. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, I got to say, I got to say this to you. That's not what I was preached in Pentecost growing up. My dad was in the Navy. I went to seven different United Pentecostal churches by the time I graduated high school. Not one pastor I was ever under in 18 years preached that to me. I'm not accusing anybody. That's not the point of this. I'm simply saying I was left to struggle because that's the way everybody lived for God. Not everybody, but everybody I knew. Now, Just for a moment here before we pray. Listen to what this verse is saying. For it is God which worketh. The Greek word worketh, and everybody's got access to, hopefully you do, because it's free. You You got any kind of device, mobile device that connects to the internet? Well, you can download a free app with a Bible version, the King James, where you touch the words and the Greek definition will come up. Everybody now can know what the Greek says. The free. There's some you have to pay for because it has a whole lot more stuff. But there are free apps out there with King James with strong versions that you can get for your phone, your device, All you have to do is touch that word and it'll bring the Greek up. So when you do that, here's what the word work means. It means to activate, to cause to be operative. Now, this week we're driving my wife's red rocket. Little Cadillac XTS, 3.6 liter Twin turbos, 410 horsepower. All-wheel drive. She doesn't like me to drive it. Not because she's covetous. But there's something that happens to me when I get in that car. It just doesn't want to do old man takeoffs from the red light. It doesn't want to drive 10 miles below the speed limit. There may be a day where I don't have any choice, but today is not that day. I'd take my wife to the grocery store yesterday, and all the way from here to the grocery store, I was behind three cars. It was behind a guy pulling a travel trailer 10 miles an hour below the speed limit. And I'm thinking to myself, I could go this fast on a bicycle. Uh, this, all this potential is being wasted. In a few minutes, 
I'm going to go get back in it and drive back to my abode. You see what that is right there? That's an activator. It's a key that turns all those 410 horsepower on. And it's without this, it's just pretty to look at. Now, when you're a kid, you can get behind the wheel and go, rum, rum, but everybody knows it's not going anywhere with you making the engine noises. You can feel like you're doing something big, but the engine's not on, and those engine noises don't exactly come close to the throaty sound that comes out of that. Okay. The key is God's grace. God activates, causes to be operative, two very important things for you to be saved on a day-to-day basis. It is God that activates in you, first of all, to will. I, I think I'll go to camp this week because my friends are going. Or I'd like to get out of this house. Or if I stay home, my parents are going to give me all kind of work to do. Or I may have to go to my job or, 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 or. Whatever, whatever you think you're trying to escape being here. Do you honestly think the idea to come to camp was yours? Because if it was just yours... You can sit back here and sit with your arms folded through every part of this and never make a move. And nobody's going to force themselves on you. It'd be wrong. As long as you're behaving yourself, you can sit with your arms folded and with a smirk on your face looking at everything we do and thinking about how stupid we look. All you want, there's not a thing we'll do about it. Because that's your soul. And we can't force salvation on you. But hey, nobody makes you get up and worship. Oh, they may ask you to stand, but you don't have to worship. Nobody makes you pray. They can ask you to come down to the front, but you don't have to pray. Where do you think that desire comes from? Where do you think it comes from? Can you take the credit for it? Not if you understand the word of God. It is God that is activating in you the desire to pray, the desire to praise, the desire to be saved. You can't even take the credit for wanting to be saved. Now, you can say no to the desire God puts in you. You can say no. But there's the problem, isn't it? God loves you so much, he puts the desire in you to be saved. And then you're going to go, no. No, I want to be lost. Well, I'm not deciding to be lost. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. When you decide to live your way, do your thing, I'm not really sure there's a God. Well, the book talks about that, and these aren't my words. The fool said in his heart, there's no God. And when you choose to purposely go against the word of God, you're you're gambling on the possibility there's no God. 
That's like gambling on your heart beating the next beat of your lungs breathing in the next breath of you having the next bite to eat so you don't starve to death. You don't gamble on those things, do you? No. It is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He activates in me the desire and then activates in me the ability to do. Why? Because I'm not doing, I'm not here alone. He doesn't expect me to do this by myself. It was never his plan. And I'll close with these verses. Matthew chapter 11. You've heard them before. They're only three verses long. It's not that big a deal, really. Not, it's not hard to memorize, even though you're not going to believe what I'm about to say. But I don't ever remember memorizing a single verse in my entire life. Well, how can you quote so many verses? By use. Some things you just use enough, you learn them. I mean, I don't think about, have to think about running a razor over my face. Just I can think about something else and do it. <clears throat> Why? Just learn to do it. So here it is. <laughs> Some people think these verses are talking about sinners, but I, and I don't have the time, but I can prove to you without a shadow of a doubt from the original languages that these verses are talking to believers. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That word laden there speaks of the cargo of a ship. Some commentators say that it's meaning, come unto me all ye that are weighted down by the heavy expectations of religion. And I will give you rest. He doesn't deny his word. And you and I can't deny his word. But I cannot keep his word through my efforts, through my humanity. It's not possible. And the fact that I seem to be able to do that on occasion in certain situations or certain words, it only produces deception in me. That if I can do this, then I can do this. Then why can't I ever do that right? The last thing I want to do is be deceived. And the worst kind of deception there is is self-deception. Bad enough if you deceive me. But if I deceive myself, what a fool I am. And when you lie to yourself about yourself, it's very unwise. I'll try to be kind there. It's very unwise. So he says, come unto me, all you that labor, Heavily laden with the expectations of religion. And I will give you rest. And then he says this. Take my yoke upon you. He didn't say, here's your yoke, go work. 
Whose yoke? His yoke. Do I believe in gathering together with the body of Christ? Yes. But he didn't say come to church. What did he say? Come unto me. Me. M-E. Not C-H-U-R-C-H. Me. A lot of people go to church that never get to Jesus. I'll say that one more time. A lot of people go to church that never get to Jesus. A lot of people learn how to do church. Learn how to sing. Some learn how to preach. Some learn how to look right, do right, quote unquote, where people can see. But they never come to Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. (laughs) You want to get married someday? You want to marry a stranger? No? So you're not willing to marry somebody you don't know anything about? That's wise. Then why would you serve a God you know nothing about? Hello? Why would you serve a God you know nothing about if you're not willing to marry somebody you don't you know nothing about? Well, I love them. No, you may love the idea of loving them, but if you don't know them, you can't love them. Because without the knowledge of that person, how do you love them? Because until you can love them in spite of their good and in spite of their bad, you don't love them. But you can't love them in spite of their good and bad till you know some good or bad about them. So you, he said, come get in my yoke with me. Let's be connected together. I want you to learn of me and hear me. Here's the two things he wants you to learn of him. I'm meek. That's King James word. The Greek is I'm gentle. Gentle. He's not hard. He's not harsh. I wish I could tell you I never raised my voice with my kids. God's gentle. He treats my most sensitive areas as kindly and delicately as possible. He doesn't run roughshod over me. He doesn't bully me. God does not bully me. God is not a bully. He does not bully me. If you don't want his help, he will quietly back away and let you do it by yourself if that's what you're determined to do. He's not going to wrestle you for control of your life. You're going to give it willingly or not give it at all. He's gentle. And he said, lowly in heart. That word there means he's humble. What does that mean? Anybody ever smacked you and you want to smack them back? Uh-huh. Well, let me put that in theological terminology. It's a wonderful thing that God doesn't feel the need to smack everybody who makes a mistake living for him. Or being, not living, we are trying to live for him. It's a wonderful thing. He is humble enough 
He doesn't have to prove how big and great he is as God by smashing people who make a mistake. He's tender. He's kind. He's gentle. He's loving. But you don't know that unless you get yoked up with him and learn to know him. And then he says this. Come unto me all ye that labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. Last verse. Let's see if you believe this verse. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. That's my final point. If you think being a Christian is hard, and if you think being a Christian is a heavy weight that's almost impossible to bear, then you don't really know Jesus or biblical Christianity. Because when you know him, you're going to experience two things. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. We've seen the example of this young man who wanted to come be a part of this session today. Okay? Grab a hold of an end of a bench. And on the other end was this fella who's in significantly good shape. Okay? Okay? You embarrassed yet? I I got more I can do. And we saw that while it wasn't simple for him to be on one end of this bench, it made it all possible. In the length of time it took him to drag that bench about eight feet, in less time than that, With help, he was able to get it all the way across the room. Remember this. The Lord didn't say, I'm yoked up to your burdens. I will do it by myself. He said to you, take my yoke upon you. He's in one side of the yoke. He's inviting you to the other side of the yoke. And the two of you together pull all of life together. Now, the agricultural principle of using oxen is this. The older, mature, strong oxen is put in the right side of the yoke. The young oxen that still is growing and it's not fully mature but needs to be trained you put him in the left side of the yoke guess who pulls the load the big ox what is the younger oxen's responsibility just to keep pace with the big ox because if the young ox goes slower than the other ox, the the yoke twists and it cramps the neck of both. If the young ox gets ahead of the older ox, 
It twists the yoke and cramps the neck of both. If you stop when the other ox is going, it twists the yoke. If you keep going when the other ox stop, it twists the yoke. So if all I do is maintain the direction and the speed with our other ox, I don't even feel my loads. Because this other ox, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator God of heaven and earth, he's pulling all of my weight for me. And it's easy. And the Greek word there for uh, my yoke is easy is actually the word comfortable. It fits well. It's not binding. It's not restricting. It, it's, it, it's almost as if it's not there. If I just maintain the yoke, I just maintain pace and direction with the Lord. Life seems really easy. Even though there might be problems outside in here. Nah, it's wonderful. This is what the Lord's offering you. It's what the Lord's offering you. I know this is heavy and and breakfast is in 19 minutes. I know this is heavy. But the Lord told me to teach you this because there are some of you that he's using right now and he's wanting to take you to the next level. And there's others of you that would like to be used. You'd like to have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost and you don't know why you don't feel those things and why why your Christianity is a struggle and the Lord doesn't want it to be a struggle he didn't design it to be a struggle he designed it to fit comfortably and make all your burdens light if you just got in the yoke with him and walked along with him that yoke is grace grace is his love at work in my life empowering me to both want to do what pleases Him and to be enabled to do what's pleasing Him. That's what grace is. Now for some of you, your talent has already become obvious. Some of you are great singers already. Some of you are great musicians. Some of you are great soul winners already. Teach Sunday school. Do all kinds of different things. Here's the problem. Anything I can do without purposely seeking God's help is not a strength. It's a weakness. Because anything that tempts me to do, try to do something without even acknowledging that I can't do this without you, Jesus, is a curse. It's not a blessing. By nature, I am a decision maker, a problem solver, a fixer. Then I went to four years of school to learn how to make decisions. I don't fear decisions. I don't fear being wrong. I don't, I don't fear it. It's all part of being a decision maker. You're not, you don't bat 100. So you make peace with that. You know that's part of the, part of it. So you just do that. Well, guess what? To have peace working in my life, I had to surrender all of that to Jesus. All of my decision making, all of my problem solving, all of my fixing. 
I'm trying to quit. Honestly, I am. Brother Warwick, Warwick, let me ask you a question. You're involved in website design and graphic arts, right? Pretty good at it. I've seen you work. I don't mean that facetiously. I don't know how to judge how good you are, but what I've seen is good, right? I got a question. You ever been trying to design something graphically or design a website and it just wouldn't come together? Uh Uh-huh. And yet you know how to do that. So even though you are, that's your vocation. That's what you do for, for natural income. There are days it just doesn't go well, does it? Because the point is this, my friend. I don't care how good you are at anything. There's nothing that you'll ever be able to do without God's help. And those days that everything goes along real well, that's not because you're so good. That's because he's so blessing you. And those days that no matter how good you are at something. I never had a chance to play a lot of basketball. Played a little bit. I played baseball and football. I was pretty good, believe it or not. See, you can't imagine that, but I can remember it, right? But we all know that MJ and Kobe and King James all have days when the ball just won't go in the hole. Steph shoots him from the other side of half court. And some days he's on and it looks like he can't miss. But every once in a while he has games. He, the ball won't go in the hole. You think life's like that and God's not going to let walking with him be like that? To keep you reminded, you can't do this. You can't figure this out. You don't, excuse me, you don't got this. I got this. No, you don't. I can do this. No, you can't. 24-7, you need Jesus, his grace, to do everything. Heart keep beating, breathing, you name it. Now, I'm hoping I won't go near this long the next two days. But this is the foundation for everything this week. You don't get this, the next two days aren't going to mean a whole lot to you. So we're going to pray a moment. Brother Barnes, you can come so that they'll know to have hope and that their stomach really is going to shrivel up like a prune and never have anything in it again. But let's pray just a moment here, could we? Jesus' name. Father, you have spoken to us today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I commit this word to you in each of these hearts and lives. I commit this word to you, Father. I commit it to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak a hedge, an angelic hedge around these hearts and this word that the adversary will not in any way be able to steal the word out of these hearts. That it might germinate and produce fruit to your glory, Father. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel the witness of the Holy Ghost in this place right now? Why don't you just talk to the Lord for yourself in your own words? Come on, Lord. I don't understand this, but I want to understand it. I need this, Lord. I can't, I, 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 I recognize in my spirit, I need this, Father. Reveal this to me, Lord. Give this to me. Enable me, Father, to receive this, to walk in this. I can't do this myself. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Wright, how often do you pray like this? Try every morning. <laughs> and throughout the day. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Praise God. I'm not going to push in the spirit today. It's not time. But can I suggest something? I know this is camp. You've got a lot going on. But could you find five minutes today? To truly find a place alone where you're not with somebody, either inside or outside, just five minutes by yourself. And think about what's been taught today and just ask the Lord to help you. Help you, give you the revelation of this, the, uh, the wisdom and the understanding of these things. That you... You can become all he wants you to be. You don't have to wait till 30. You don't have to wait till 25. You don't have to wait till 21. You don't have to wait to 18 to become mature in spiritual things. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. God bless you. Thank you for your patience.